Hallöchen and welcome to Air Castles, the podcast where we try to understand different cultures one topic at a time. My name is Joanna, I'm from Austria and with me recording today and every other day when I record as well is... <laughs> Olivia, that's me. Hello, dear listeners. <laughs> Olivia, where are you from? <laughs> uh, I'm from the United States. I'm from Michigan. How specific do you want me to go? My mother's womb? I think I, th <laughs> I think Michigan is also quite a good equivalent to Austria, even though it is still so much bigger than Austria. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's how specific we can go. <laughs> but can you see Austria from outer space? I don't think so. Love that mitten. Oh my god, hundred percent not. <laughs> <laughs> that's Maybe like you can that's... see a tiny dot the size of an ant. <laughs> I think you you maybe got a vibe for this when I was talking about the Michigan My Michigan musical from episode nine, I think, or whatever. But Michiganders take a lot of pride in their Great Lakes and the fact that you can see Michigan <laughs> from outer space because its its shape is so mm -hmm. distinct because of the because of the lakes. So that's a big thing for us. <laughs> I mean, we're part of Europe. You can see Europe from outer space. That's what I take pride in. <laughs> well, that's good. Good. I'm glad you have that. <laughs> oh, well. Okay, so the topic of today, for everyone who has been wondering, the title of this episode is As You All Can Read, Do You Have a Bird? <laughs> And usually we explain our episode titles in the introduction, but this time we're going to do it at the end because the title is, for, is a reference to what I'm going to teach every English or foreign language speaking person that doesn't have German as a native language <laughs> or hasn't studied German yet. Like that's that's the phrase I'm going to teach all of you today. And I think it has a really funny meaning so I wanted to take it as a title. Yeah, so when Joanna says that we're going to explain it, she actually means she's going to explain <laughs> it because I have no idea either. <laughs> Olivia just went with it. She trusts me this, this much I that I can title the episode. I think it's funny. It's funny. <laughs> okay, I guess it's time to dive into my bird of the day. <laughs> so my bird of the day is actually non-existent because it's based <laughs> on mythology. <laughs> so for, I, I, I think it's a quite common bird. <laughs> Due to a big reason. Common, <laughs> common non-existent bird. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I'm talking about the phoenix bird right now. And it's a mythical bird. And I think that it's... I would dare say that it's very prominent. Or it has gotten very prominent through Harry Potter. Mm. If we're being honest here. <laughs> Because yeah. that's like... The first thing I think of when I think of a phoenix bird is Harry Potter because it plays a role in the in the movies. And other than that, it's also linked to another, uh, a lot of other different mytho uh, mythologies like the Greek mythology. That's the main place where it kind of came from. Oh, okay. But I'm going to get into that later. But I think you heard about that before as well. But I think in the modern popular culture society it's probably most known for harry potter wait okay so i was wondering if i could kind of introduce a story kind of to your topic if that's all right when i heard you were <laughs> of course doing try. phoenix i wanted to talk about this at the risk of embarrassing myself 
Okay, so I, I guess I have a question for you. Did you, like, when you were growing up, did you have phases where you were really into, like, this one thing? And then you would get out of it, and then you'd have another phase, you know? Did you have that? Yes. But but do you mean in terms of, like, a thing, like a style, or an item, or, like, I don't know, collecting something? Like, do you mean things that well, you're like really anything. interested in, like or some, style? Some people have, anything. like... Uh, more like interests. So some people have like a One Direction oh, phase. Or for mm-hmm. me and my friends, I really like to play pretend a lot. So I had different phases for different types of like magical creatures that I would be particularly fixated with at the time. And I'd always like want to be the fairy or I'd always want to like have a dragon. Mm-hmm. You know, I had mm-hmm. these different phases. And I also had a phoenix phase because... Really? Yeah, I had this like really thick kind of high quality glow stick that was probably pink or red um so it had a, so and then obviously you know it wore out and everything but then i just had this like stick of cool pinkish liquid so i would pretend that it was like phoenix blood and i had this whole thing for a good span <laughs> of months it's probably like one summer or something like that where like i always wanted to pretend that i like had a pet phoenix and things like that so that is the kind of <laughs> unfortunate so association i always have with phoenixes so i was like oh, that's yes. not unfortunate <laughs> that's a childhood memory it is it is it's pretty cute but also lame at the same time no i think it's all right i think it's really cool that you got into like mythical creatures like the phoenix like that's I don't know, like, you learn something by that. Do you get what I mean? Like, there are also hobbies where you don't learn. That's true. That's true. I had a friend who was really into elves. She had a huge elf phase for a good, like, couple of years. (laughs) That's so cute. (laughs) Okay, but but I I guess that means you can fact check my phoenix facts. (laughs) Absolutely not. Um, I know so little. (laughs) But I'm so, that's why I'm so excited, though. I feel like... My childhood is coming mm. to, like, a close here. Because I'm, like, it's coming. <laughs> I don't know. It's all coming full circle. I don't know how else it's to explain the, it. but It's the start of your second Phoenix phase. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is the beginning. Okay. So, the Phoenix. Uh, I already mentioned, yeah, how it's known pretty much. And what I think is so cool or what I never thought of is legend says that there can be only one living phoenix in the world at any time. So if there's a living phoenix, there's only got to be one. And that's the whole thing of a phoenix. And I was never sure whether there could be multiple. But it's not the phoenix, like the type of bird. Like it's the one phoenix. And that's why I never talk about phoenix do this or this. And then that phoenix does that. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. Because it's just one. So the legendary phoenix, based on appearance, so it's a large bird, which is kind of like a mixture between an eagle and a peacock, you could say. And it is colored in red, purple, and yellows, as it is so closely associated with fire and the rising sun. And its eyes have the color of sapphire blue. And yeah, so the legend says, for anyone who doesn't have any idea about a phoenix that what's so special about this bird is that it lives a couple of hundred years several hundred years and then it dies bursting into flames and it is reborn from the ashes so there's the bird 
and then he builds his own kind of funeral nest and ignites the fire and the nest with a single clap of its wings and then it bursts into flames and turns into ashes and out of those ashes a new young and powerful phoenix rises again wow. and that's the main scheme of it and what i thought was so interesting i think there's so many harry potter analogies in there and, and connections to be drawn because in one tiny tiny paragraph that was written that when it is portrayed the phoenix it's oftentimes portrayed with the nimbus and nimbus is a harry potter thing like the yeah, nimbus the 2000 those are brooms yeah the broomsticks and it didn't oh. intend this being a Harry Potter themed episode but it feels like th <laughs> like it because I was just like oh there's a Nimbus but Nimbus and then I looked up the origin of the word and what it actually means outside of Harry Potter <laughs> yeah. and it's a type of cloud I don't know whether you know that and it's just oh. my lack of English vocabulary yeah. but I didn't know about Cu that oh god it's like this is a really hard word to pronounce it's like cumulonimbus or something is the full word mm. that's a type of cloud I think they're the like. That's interesting that you remembered that. I I remember that there's like the really wispy clouds, and then the cumulonimbus. I think are the really big, mm. fluffy white clouds. But I think that mm. they can. Yeah, they are. They often will grow into storm clouds. I could be wrong mm. though. <laughs> anyway, they're the big fluffy clouds. So, that's what I know. Yeah, yeah, it's a big fluffy white cloud, <laughs> and what I found out is. Everything I said up until now, besides the Nimbus thing, I kind of already knew because that's what you get out of Harry Potter. <laughs> but the legend says that, once again, when the bird is reborn, the legend also says that it's flying away. The new bird will fly away and it will embalm the ashes of its predecessor. Predecessor. It How do you pronounce it? predecessor predecessor yeah so it embalms the ashes of his predecessor mm -hmm. into an egg and flies it to the city of the sun which is called heliopolis and that's all greek mythology just to make this clear okay. but i never heard about the fact that you know they fly it to heliopolis and then the new phoenix deposits the egg with the old ashes the uh, the ashes of the old phoenix on the altar of the sun god so that's oh. the end of the story when a phoenix is reborn, apparently. <laughs> so an egg... So, wait. <laughs> I'm way overthinking <laughs> this, I know. But that means that there are phoenix eggs. And then there are also... There's also a phoenix. So, like, there's a phoenix bird and then it has its egg. So as soon as the phoenix bird bursts into flames... Then the new one is born out of the egg? No, 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 no. So the phoenix bursts into flames and then there's only ashes. And then a new bird emerges from those ashes and it's like, oh, yay, I can fly and everything. But <laughs> there's my nest, you know, where I was just reborn and there's still ashes in there. Those ashes belong to the bird who was here before me. And then he, like, puts those ashes together, makes an egg out of it and says, oh, I'm going to fly my old, like the old phoenix, my predecessor to Heliopolis now. Oh, wow. You see what I mean? That so is there's so not a new like bird coming out of the egg. Sweet and sad. Like, 
<laughs> and there's so much to that. It's a nice like, gesture. Yeah, I mean, I feel like even though it's a mythical bird, there's like such a like there's so much spelled out like ceremony and everything like that they build their <laughs> funeral nest right is what you said yeah they do this whole thing with like the, it's so well like thought out you would think it's real <laughs> i mean who knows olivia who knows i, I wish like it is real i, I want also it to be wish real. it was real <laughs> <laughs> so the phoenix is not only in greek mythology apparent um so i talked about the Greek mythology up until now, but it's also made its appearances in Egyptian and Arab mythology. And they're kind of like there are some different versions on how exactly the whole story unfolds. And for example, there's one other version where it never bursts into flames but just decomposes before the rebirth, oh, okay. so it just falls apart, you know. But the one I just talked about is kind of the most common legend. And what's important to distinguish here is that the Greek called it the phoenix bird, but it's also closely, like very closely associated to other mythical creatures from different countries. Like mentioned before, in Egypt, they had the Benu, that's also a bird. In Ru uh, in Russia, they had the fire bird. In Japan, they had the Ho-O. In Chinese, the Feng Huang. And what's once again so crazy to read is it's also closely related to the Native American Thunderbird. And if you know Harry Potter, that's kind of like the new... Because Harry Potter plays in Great Britain and J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry Potter, also adapted an American kind of thing. And there the Thunderbird plays a role. And I just... I never thought that that was a real thing, you know, the Thunderbird, for example. But she seems to have taken a lot of inspiration from Greek mythology and, and just other mythologies, because that's Native American mythology. Where is the Thunderbird in Harry Potter? Uh, so it's just when you... It's not in the books that are out right now, but if you follow through, like, the whole Harry Potter universe, there's a new... I'm not sure whether she's going to release new books, but on Pottermore, that's the official website oh. of J.K. Rowling, she has a whole new articles about how there's a second Hogwarts or a type of second Hogwarts in North America. Right. And there, the Thunderbird is one of the houses. Oh, okay. Oh, mm. that's really neat. Um, I wonder if that's right? from, uh, I guess the movies are more so than the books, but the uh, Fantastic Beasts since that takes place in the U.S. Yeah. I wonder. Mm. If that it's kind of like that. that. Interesting. That's but I think cool. it's more closely related to Hogwarts. <laughs> kind of kicking out here. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> Phoenix in Greek means <laughs> crimson or purple. I forgot to mention that. That's oh. the Greek word. Fitting. And yeah, and it's still, you know, up until this date, they, it's still commonly used nowadays due to the symbolism, you know, of a phoenix and, you know, renewal and resurrection, all of that. So that's why it's a nice symbol to use or a nice metaphor for things. And But the phoenix, I talked about the Bennu in Egypt before and apparently that was kind of the first phoenix-like creature because it's also about resurrection. And it, according to my source, it was there before the phoenix in Greek mythology. There was, 
like the Bennu in Egyptian mythology was there before. And so some people even say that the Phoenix might have been that no, that the Bennu might have been the inspiration for the Phoenix in the Greek mythology because it was there right. before. And and yeah, and when you look it up, when you just type in Bennu in Google, B-E-N-N-U, I think, you know, I, for my part, have a very distinct image and, and very distinct images when I think of Egypt and, for example, wall art or drawings from ancient Egyptian history. And the bird is like the typical bird you think of when you think of Egypt. Like, as soon as you Google it, you're going to see what I mean. But I think it's... It's so like I've seen the bird before a lot of times, but I never thought that it had the same kind of sense to it as the phoenix. Like that, the, that there was more to it than it just being a bird. Right. Yeah. But it's also about resurrection. So I thought that was really neat that it's also apparently such a big part in Egyptian mythology. And the phoenix is also that that really shocked me. It's also of great importance in Asia because it is a symbol of the Chinese empress and feminine grace and it's also the symbol of sun and the south and if you cite the phoenix according to the legends it's a good sign and it's a sign that a wise leader has ascended to the throne and it marks a new era when you spot a phoenix and there are a lot of places and temples apparently in, in asia which are guarded by you know a lot of keramic protective beasts i've seen those in a lot of asian countries But those keramic protective beasts are all led by the phoenix, according to my source. (laughs) So it is quite apparent there as well. And so besides it being a big part in so many different regions of the world, there's also an analogy. Analogy. I looked up how to pronounce it. Analogy. Analogy, right. right. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Doubting myself. (laughs) It also made its way uh, into Christianity as an analogy of Christ's death and resurrection. And that's why it became a popular symbol and early Christian tombstones or gravestones. So it's also a thing in a Christian belief. And it also made its way into the Jewish religion as well. Because legends there say that the phoenix was a bird in Eden, so in paradise, essentially. Oh, and okay. according to the legend, you know how Eve tried to te- how Eve took the forbidden fruit and mm-hmm. tried to tempt the animals to eat it. And according to the legend, the phoenix was one of the am- animals that you know Eve offered the forbidden fruit to, and the bird refused, which is why it was granted a town in which he would have been able to live peacefully almost eternally and be reborn every thousands of years so that was kind of the the price he got from refusing to eat the forbidden fruit and it also according to legends in the jewish belief system made it made him immune to the angel of death once again reborn resurrection right wow so it's amazing how consistent it is that like the phoenix's whole thing you know, is the mm. is the reincarnation kind of the resurrection of the dying and then immediately being reborn and then dying and being reborn. Like yeah. I love how consistent that is across all these different times, all these different cultures and religions. Like that right? stays pretty much entirely the same. Mm. I th- that's that's very true. It's it's so 
Yeah, like the base of it is always the same, and it's. I, I just think it's a very prominent mythical creature, in so many different parts of the world. And yet, somehow, like besides Harry Potter, I can't think of a lot of media that really deals That's heavily true. with the phoenix. I guess it's one of those things where, as soon as you know about it, you're gonna see it wherever you look. You know what I mean? Like you're gonna notice it. And because I never thought of the Egyptian Bennu having any relation to the phoenix. And now that I know that, like every time I'm going to look at Egyptian drawings with that bird, I'm going to think of the phoenix as well, you know, because they're so closely related. That's Bennu. I know that. (laughs) (laughs) That's Bennu. (laughs) Exactly. I guess that's how I felt when I learned about um, Ho'oh, you know, the Japanese kind of equivalent when we went to that temple in Uji, because that was... You knew about Ho-Oh that, and they had phoenixes and stuff because Ho O's a Pokemon, <laughs> at least in English. Oh, because be- I know the English and, and Japanese oh. names are different, so I don't know if there's actually a uh, like if the Pokemon was originally named Ho O, but in English mm-hmm. at least it is it is named like there's a big fire bird, a fire legendary type, and it's named Ho O, and then I was like, mind blown. I, I think there's out. it's so funny how there's so many relations to popular culture right now, such as Pokemon or Harry Potter, which are which are which have its roots, you know, in those ancient mythologies. Because that's so funny that it's a Pokemon. Because I I was I never heard of it before. I guess I, I forgot about it. I don't know which of it. But I looked up how to spell Ho O and it's so interesting that you knew about it before. It's Pokemon, man. It's like that you're familiar with it. <laughs> Plus, it's early generation Pokemon. I recently oh, finished okay. my first full game because I've started a couple mm. games, um, but I've never finished one before this year. Um, Pokemon Shield, for anyone who cares. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> but anyway, and I could have definitely have a clear bias for the first like three generations because those those are the ones that were on the TV show when I actually watched it. Those were the ones that existed when oh. I played the games, you know. So, like, once you get to, like, Gen 4 and beyond, then I really stopped caring about them. There's, like, nine now, I think. <laughs> or seven or eight. Somewhere in there. But, um... Nine versions but of Pokemon? But Ho-Oh I think that was one of those first three generations. So that's why I'm like, yeah, okay. man. Ho-Oh. Wow. Yeah, baby. Hit us with all the knowledge. Hit us with all the knowledge, <laughs> all the Pokemon knowledge. I have so little though in comparison to so many other people. But I have more. You, than you will always person. beat me. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> I mean, no offense, Joanna, but it's not a very high bar you're setting for me. <laughs> but it's true. I I would say I know more than the average person, quite clearly. Uh, but I don't say I would know as much as the average Pokemon fan. So. Mm, I see what you mean. I see yeah. what you mean. So I have a last fact for the phoenix. Besides all of the different things I told you already about in terms of where it makes an appearance, it's also an alchemical symbol. Ooh. And I looked up alchemy. What's the proper definition of it? And alchemy is the medieval forerunner of chemistry. And it's an ancient branch of natural philosophy. And the phoenix in alchemy represents the changes during chemical reactions and progression through colors, for example, as well as 
properties of matter and it has to do the phoenix in you know once again symbolizes change and it has to do with the steps of alchemy in the making of the great work all with capital letters great work or the philosopher's stone which is once again a harry potter reference right yes <laughs> and so once again looked up the definitions in there so greater work first of all is the process of working to create the philosopher's stone and the philosopher's stone is a legendary alchemical substance capable of turning base metals such as mercury into gold or silver but it's also an elixir of life with the power to cure illness renew properties of youth and grant immortality to, to those who possess the philosopher's stone so in the process of creating the Philosopher's Stone, Phoenix is always playing a role in there as it is, as it represents the changes in chemical reactions, for example. Interesting. I Yeah, that was, that really surprised me that it made its way even into alchemy, you know? Yeah. So, and kind of modern additions to, yet now, now in general, in terms of, the phoenix modern additions to the myth of the phoenix are that the tears of the phoenix and it's so funny once again because it, it sounds potter. like they took it straight st yeah straight off the out of the harry potter books the tears of the phoenix have great healing powers according to modern editions and if you're near a phoenix you will not be able to lie that's another oh. modern edition and i truly do wonder whether you know as jk rowling wrote the books she looked up oh what are mo modern, like, mythological-based things about the phoenix? And then she read there, oh, tears are supposed to heal wounds. Or whether she just wrote about that, and then everyone was like, oh, now that J.K. Rowling wrote about it, I guess that's a modern edition. You know, I wonder which way around it was. Right. Uh, I mean, the tears, I have no idea. But is I don't think the lying thing is present in Harry Potter, is it? It's not part of Harry Potter, so that's true. I wonder where that one came from. Because that's what I've never heard before, but I like it. Mm -hmm. it it's like uh, Wonder like Woman's well. lasso of truth or whatever. Mm-hmm, totally know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, so, you know, a lasso is like a rope, right? That you, like, throw on an animal. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So oh, she no, has no, that no, thing where she glowing? someone with the rope. Yeah, and it glows, and then you can't lie. Oh, then I've seen it. Then I've seen it. Okay. At least I'm educated in some... You know more than you know. <laughs> Either way, honestly, like, researching about stuff like that makes me wish I lived in a world where, for example, just in general, mythological creatures would exist. Because how cool would it be to have a bird and close to it, you cannot lie. The tears of healing powers, like, it just sounds so cool. It does. It does. I can't. I mean, obviously, this is kind of pessimistic, but I can't. I, I would feel like the poor phoenix would be so exploited, though, at this point. Yeah, I think so as well. It'd be better off either safe in like the um, not Eden, but the other paradise that was made for it and or Heliopolis somewhere. Oh, yeah. Heliopolis. It's but it's not that safe. was not the paradise that was created for it that's just the city which it always flies to 
Right. City I of guess Poseidon. I was talking Paul. about the Greek and the Jewish mythology, kind of. If one yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, you just mix both of them. I think that's also nice. <laughs> that would also be a nice place for the Phoenix to live in. Either way. Because, I mean, we don't know. Maybe Heliopolis is the city the Jewish, Jewish people think that the Phoenix is living right now. Maybe there is a connection. Who knows? But we still do not know. Or I didn't look up what the name of the of the city where the Phoenix is living peacefully, according to the Jewish legends, yeah. is living right now. That's it for my Phoenix research. Now tell me, Olivia, how much, how many new things did you learn after your face, after your Phoenix face as a I child? I learned a lot, like a lot, a lot. You honestly already caught me off guard with your very first fact about um, the fact that it mostly draws from Greek mythology, because I thought the primary mythology was like the Arabic or the Egyptian, and that oh. um, maybe other traditions came afterwards. But uh, I guess mm. we surprising not well not surprisingly we primarily draw from the Greek. But uh, but yeah. So already, I mean, and that was just the first thing that I learned. So <laughs> I feel very educated. But you were right with the fact that the Egyptians were there first with their mystical bird and mysterious and mythological bird, right. mythical, mythical. And I'm gonna look mythical. up pictures of Banu after this. Banu. <laughs> do it what are you talking about today by the way not by the way but <laughs> totally in the way but what are you talking about today i am going to talk about one specific bird as well but this is a this is a real bird but also a super bird in some ways you could say a super bird <laughs> alex the parrot a parrot i love parrots yes Specifically, well, then you're going to have a good time because there's a lot of good things to say about parrots now. <laughs> I always have a good time with you, Olivia. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so who was Alex? Alex was an African gray parrot who lived from 1976 to 2007. So he lived 31 years. That's actually a bit shorter. The average lifespan of his, spe of his species is about 50 years. They can even live up to 80 years in the wild. Um, but he was adopted by an animal psychologist, a.k.a. Um, an ornithologist means a person who studies birds. So that's what the, pro the term I'm probably going to use because it sounds more fun. <laughs> so an ornithologist named sounds Dr. Fancier. And right? It does. Um, her name is Dr. Irene Pepperberg. And she adopted Alex in 1977, and that began, so when he was one year old. And then they spent the next 30 years as uh, a 30-year experiment, basically, into uh, testing the communication and cognitive abilities of birds. And because of her studies with Alex, Pepperberg's findings basically completely changed how we view bird intelligence. Hmm. That's so he was kind of a test object, right? Yes, yeah. So he was like it's like he was a pet, but primarily he was also like um a, a studier, like a test subject, yeah. Mm, so a matter of research. Indeed. Um which is I, I don't know, like obviously Dr. Pepperberg is an ornithologist cuz that's how she's gotten her fame and she's gotten tons of accolades and awards for her work, but originally um she was born in Brooklyn, New York, and she was raised above a pet store. But her father 
was a science teacher, I think, or something like that. So she actually studied chemistry um, throughout all of her schooling. She studied at MIT and Harvard, which are like super top. Oh, wow. Super top schools, right? So she's super smart. And um, but then she watched an episode of Nova, which is like this kind of science TV show. And that was about and that episode was about animal communication. And that's what kind of inspired her to study animal communication instead. So while she was getting her doctorate in chemistry at Harvard, she bought Alex at the at the pet store and then started conducting experiments just kind of in, in her own home and everything. And that's what kind of drove her life in an entirely different direction. That's so cool. So she didn't really have any prior knowledge about animals. No, she but I studied mean, no. chemistry, right? Except for, I guess, her own experience, like so um, cool. uh, being above the pet store. This indicates that she always kind of had an yeah. interest in it because I think she got a couple of pet birds. I forget what type, but then she trained them. Um, she didn't like conduct experiments, I think, in the proper way, but she like trained these birds and things like that so even from a younger age she clearly had an interest but i don't think that was necessarily what she thought she Mm. was going to do with her whole life until until that point um and she was really kind of brave and groundbreaking in a lot of ways because uh ba before alex that's how i like to that's my little thing anyway (laughs) (laughs) um like obviously like you know i guess i don't know if you know bird brain is like an insult you know that you're it means that you're stupid or you're dumb um i didn't know about that yeah that's a bird brain it's it's kind it of an old-fashioned insult but it is still a widely known insult that means you're stupid mm-hmm. but and that's i mean birds were generally thought to be stupid because their brains are so small and the height of bird intelligence was thought to be with birds like parrots and that they could store like up to 2000 vocabulary words and then imitate them but that's more about like mimicry and having a good memory rather than like actual like comprehension and being able to think and understand perform and tasks. intelligence right right or um another great thing about birds is that they can when they migrate right they can perch in a certain tree fly you know 2000 miles south for the winter come mm. back and perch and in that return, exact right. same tree right which you obviously wow. knew. But yeah, so, so you know, obviously they're intelligent in their own way, but people didn't understand just how much. And mm-hmm. um, so apparently Dr. Pepperberg, when she turned in her first grant proposal, one of the feedback comments that she got back was like she was literally asked what she had been smoking. Because <laughs> they thought it was so ridiculous oh. that wow. she would be looking into bird cognition. But she still continued on going, well, she right? She still kept on going. Yeah, she's. I think uh, one of the articles I said said that she it took her a good amount of years, like a couple, three to four years, probably before she was able to get that grant proposal accepted and um, mm. officially able to do that research and stuff. And this is something that I think is pretty interesting. The one of the keys to her success was the fact that she used this thing called the model rival technique. So let's say. I'm Dr. Pepperberg, and you're you're another scientist, right? So you're going to be the model mm-hmm. slash rival, and we have Alex here with us as a bird. So what we would do is I would ask you the type of question that I'd ask Alex. Like I'd hand you um, a piece of yellow paper, 
and I'd say, what color? And then you would say, yellow. And then I'd praise you. Or I'd hand you a green piece of paper and I'd say, what made of? And then if you said metal or something and you got it wrong, you, you would say it on purpose, but then I would scold you. And the whole point is that, and then we would switch places and you would ask me those questions and I would answer right or wrong. And the whole point is that they were showing the bird uh, that this model rival was both like someone to follow after, like, you know, to show off kind of what happens when they get the question right and who they want to Mm -hmm. model after. But then also a rival. Conditioning, right? Yeah, a rival for the... the, uh, the scientist's attention essentially and then they would switch to show that communication is a two-way street so that he's not just um you know he doesn't just respond to dr pepperberg and what she says but that he actually understands the language itself no matter who's asking it you know Mm -hmm. so and that's how Alex was able to learn and that's how they were actually able to like prove that he was understanding he wasn't just reading um you know from kind of just repetition I guess um and further on once they really began doing this and he really picked it up he would even like interject and correct so let's say you purposefully answered the question wrong or something he would then say the correct answer he'd say like no that's paper it's not metal you know or whatever and he really was able to learn all of that yeah he couldn't use language in the same way we do like you know comparing his intelligence to that of like a two-year-old child let's say it's still very different Pepperberg, I guess, described Alex's actions as basically he was using English sentence structure to create a two-way communication between him and others because African gray parrots are very social creatures. But it's not, you know, it's it's still subtly different than how humans use communication. But he still understood mm-hmm. um, an impressive amount of words. He had an 150-word vocabulary. And again, that's not just mimicking but that he had pattern recognition, he could categorize them. So there was some level of genuine comprehension of these 150 words. He could identify 50 different objects, seven colors, and five shapes, as well as different materials, such as paper, right? So like if he could touch them with his Mm -hmm. beak. Um, And then he also knew whole phrases like, uh, I want to go back and can I have some water? So he was able to kind of draw connections and connect mm-hmm. things yeah. himself. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. He, he knew numbers, um, simple numbers. He could count. 
And he understood the concept of zero, which is something that doesn't arise in humans until they're four years old. Apparently, he wow. and Sheba, the chimpanzee, are the only non-humans to have demonstrated an understanding of, like, a summed number and been able to do, like, basic addition. Really? Yeah, he could do, he could add up to, like, the number eight or something. Wow. Crazy like that. Um, and he could distinguish things like same versus different and bigger versus smaller. Mm-hmm. So one of the... I watched some videos of, of Pepperberg working with Alex. So, for example, she'd hold up two keys, and one was blue and metal, and one was, like, a big green plastic key, like a kid's key, right? And she, so mm-hmm. she'd hold them both up, and she'd say, which one bigger? And then he'd say green. Oh, wow. So even though That's so impressive. It's so impressive. Yeah, Pepperberg estimates that his intelligence was equal to, like, chimps or dolphins, if not greater. Mm-hmm. Um, the most impressive thing I saw, so another experiment that I watched was, so imagine like a, a little board, a little plate, right? And on the plate, she has blue cubes and green cubes and like little blue plastic cars and little green plastic cars and then like maybe one other type of object, right? So she'd hold this up to him and she'd ask how many green and then he could count them and say two or three, right? Really? Which means not only could he distinguish the color, but he could also distinguish the shape and knew, mm-hmm. or how many, um, I guess she would say how many green cube or something. And then he would be able to answer mm-hmm. two. So he could simultaneously distinguish shape and color and count them and then be able to give the correct answer. And then probably one of the things that he was most famous for was not just his obvious, like, intelligence but that he kind of demonstrated some emotional intelligence as well for example if he got really kind of tired or fed up with doing the testing he would slam his cage door or he'd throw objects at uh at dr pepper what mm-hmm. so kind of showing a sign of emotion and frustration right 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 and uh and being able to communicate that or um and i don't know if this was her kind of imposing humanness on him but for example during some of the testing in that video i watched he said can i have some water and then she held up water to him and and then he didn't take it so it was like he was trying to get out of the testing by stalling kind of Mm. i don't know if that's actually what it was but yeah that's the type of thing where he mm. when he would use that that phrase and that's when he would also ask like can i go back or i want to go back um he obviously was pretty famous in the scientific world because, you know, their findings were so groundbreaking. And he had a little bit of celebrity because he appeared on some TV shows like on Animal Planet and Nova and whatever. But he got really, really famous because of how he died. How did he die? He died on September 6, 2007, just of natural causes. And Dr. Prepperberg says it was mm-hmm. a real shame because they were really starting to dig in deep with his math abilities. And she thinks oh, that no. he could have proven himself in a lot of different ways had he lived longer. Mm. Because, again, it was pretty unexpected how early he died. But okay. um, his last, so his last words to Dr. Pepperberg were, you be good. I love you. See you tomorrow. No. I heard that's, that's heartbreaking. I know, isn't that so sweet? You be good. I love you. 
that's what inspired me to uh to talk about him even though i'm talking about two american things in a row which i feel bad about but um but i couldn't pass it up i think he's so Don't fascinating worry. and that's honestly like if you yeah. look up alex the parrot like almost all the articles you'll see at least on the first page all have to do with his death and like people went crazy <laughs> over these dying words of his and i heard that i think that's what he said to her every day when she left the uh the lab but i'm not sure oh. i only read one source mm. that said that mm. but uh but it's still really sweet and then he died that Even way. if he ch- said it just once, it's so cute. I know. Um, so then I just wanted... So then that got me obviously thinking about, you know, other smart birds and other intelligent species and things like that. So mm-hmm. the two other, like, smart birds that kind of came up in my search specifically were Einstein and Griffin. Um, so Griffin is... all, And they're both also African gray parrots, which is no coincidence, I'm sure. Griffin is um, one of the other parrots that Pepper Burke has been working with for a long time. And in 2018, Pepper Burke published a study revealing that Griffin can draw conclusions based on repeated experiences and can understand probabilities to a certain extent. So he can observe like experiments um, after they've been repeated a lot, and then he can understand like the probabilities of things happening or not happening. Um, and he's also demonstrated kind of the math abilities that Alex was beginning to indicate, such as um, they'll give clicks, right? Like they'll go like, or something, or maybe yeah. tweets or mm-hmm. something like that. And then they have to count. And so let's say I went like, you know, they'd want them to say two. Mm-hmm. But what happened was that she clicked twice and then he didn't say anything. And then she clicked two more times and then he said four. And then she clicked two more times and then he said six. So Griffin is kind of demonstrating a lot of great math abilities that, you know, we believed Alex also had. And then Einstein is Mm. a bit different. Einstein is owned by a different woman. I don't know what her name is. And um, he... She has really great sonic abilities where her whole thing um, is about mimicking different animals and things like that. So, for example, I think I was watching this kind of like funny, talented pet show, Animal Planet show that used to be on in the early 2000s, probably, where it's like (laughs) people would bring on their talented animals, right, and do tricks and whatever. And so she had this whole whole routine with him in which... Um, Einstein could give really, really quick animal sounds. So they go through this whole thing where it could make chip sounds and it could make, you know, bird tweets and um, uh, pig pig oinks and cow moos and things like that. So in that way, Einstein was really talented and the speed at which Einstein could respond was really amazing. Whereas Griffin and, and Alex take some time to answer like they had this whole routine down but it was still very much like a routine where she kind of said the same key words and that's how griffin or einstein knew how to respond um and it was kind of more like a show than you know the genuine comprehension that pepperberg's birds seem to kind of demonstrate you know um mm-hmm. other famous other birds that are considered to be very very smart are great-tailed grackles, cockatoos, and corvids, aka crows and ravens, are sometimes considered to be um, the smartest birds ever. 
And some people, now there's kind of like this budding of heads, it seems like, between primatologists, people who study like chimps and apes, and or mm-hmm. ornithologists who study birds, saying like, which one is smarter, chimps or birds? Or like chimps or ravens or chimps or um, great African gray parrots, you know, that type of thing, who has more potential. Mm-hmm. And uh, the last thing I wanted to close on was the Alex Foundation, which is a foundation Dr. Pepperberg founded after Alex's death. And basically, um, I'm just going to read off from their website. The goal of the Alex Foundation is to support research that will expand the base of knowledge, establishing the cognitive and communicative abilities of parrots as intelligent beings. These findings will be used to encourage the responsible ownership of parrots, conservation and preservation of parrots in the wild, and veterinary research into the psychological diseases and care of these birds. Through these efforts, the Alex Foundation and the memory of Alex will live on and will accomplish its mission to improve the lives of all parrots worldwide. So if you are interested... That's so cute. Right? So if you're interested in donating to the Alex Foundation, I'm going to have the link down in the uh, episode notes. So please give that a click if uh, that's something that you are interested in. To be honest, I will for sure look into that. I want to see... I don't know. I just want to check out the website. That's so cool that you inserted a charity in there or, or a foundation more like. I mean, it's just, you know, it's really what cool. it's what uh, Dr. Pepperberg wants Alex's memory to kind of stand for. Mm. So I feel like that's doing You know, justice. what's so interesting? What you know how you have those distinct memories during your childhood or even during school, your school days. Mm-hmm. I remember my German teacher taught us in middle school not taught us but he showed us a video of and i kept thinking throughout you telling me all of this about um the different birds he showed us a video about such a intelligent bird who was also also the click sounds especially so i wonder whether it was griffin he showed us but i remember he showing us him showing us a video of how intelligent uh different types of birds can be and i forgot the name of the bird you were talking about again what's the species again african gray parrot parrot i was like papagai (laughs) that's a german (laughs) word parrot (laughs) no it's not papagai okay yeah so so uh, he showed us a video of a parrot who was really intelligent and i think it's it was one of the three you told us about and i think it was probably griffin 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 yeah griffin right also, I've some other ones that I've yeah. heard mentioned of other Pepperberg birds would be Athena and Arthur um, are some other ones that she's studying. But I didn't see any videos. Maybe on it was Arthur. Yeah, but I, I remember the click sounds. Like as soon as you said that, I was like, I think it was him because we we watched the click sounds as well. Um, but yeah, it's really it's it's so cool that you looked that up. I think it's so interesting, and I I recommend, I highly recommend looking also videos up on YouTube because I think you watched videos, right? But I remembered yeah. that video up until now, which is years later, because I think it's so impressive to see it and hear a parrot do that. No, you absolutely absolutely must watch the videos. It's really fascinating <laughs> to see and really cool just to see um, how smart how smart that those birds are and everything even the, the mm. einstein one is, is pretty fun to watch too 
I could have, man, I was really close to just doing a total deep dive then on like primates versus versus birds and all this stuff. But a lot of it is, <laughs> you can find a lot of academic papers, like heavy reading. Yeah. And there are books published mm-hmm. on this topic now at this point. And, but I guess my big takeaway is I think it's so fascinating that 30 years ago, before Alex was born, we wouldn't have had, we wouldn't have had this, you know? Like that's, it's just yeah. come so far. I guess it's in 40 years more like at this point, but. And that's not that long ago. It's really not. This is a very, very new part of science. And yet it's already come such a far mm. way, but we still have so much more to learn. Um, so it's kind of a new, it's a new thing, but it's definitely one worth exploring. And there's still, there's already mm. a lot of info out there for you if you're, uh, if you want to dig deeper. Yeah, I'm really interested to see what the future brings in those subjects, or in general, just analyzing animals more, you know? Yeah. Because parrots is such a, such a specific species, but there's so many more, you know, that are not that researched as of right now. Right. Dolphins aren't talked about a lot, but I know that they are very intelligent. They're very intelligent, yeah. So. Hmm. There we go. But I think it's also... Yeah. No, well, no what were you going to say? <laughs> I think I was just going to say, I think it's also important always to just mentioning that real quick. Um, When you research an animal, I think it's important that it happens in an ethical matter, you know, because there are a lot of Mm. scientists or a lot of labs who just exploit the animals because they want to get not information, but new knowledge. And I think you can do it in a very animal friendly way. No, for sure. Yeah. Like the I forgot her name. Like the person who raised the 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 birds and raised Griffin and oh Pepperberg, yeah, yeah, yeah Pepperberg, yeah. So like her for example, you know, like having a heart for animals as well and, yeah. and just caring about them. Well, and that she's putting her yeah. her studies towards that that goal of you know bettering their lives and bettering conservation and things like that. Right. Exactly. Great. Exactly. Then are you ready? Oh, no, 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 not German with Joanna. First of all, we need to tell all of our listeners <laughs> plugs, how they plugs, can reach plugs, out to plugs, us. Plugs, plugs, <laughs> Exactly. So if you ever want to reach out to us, we have an email address, which is aircastlespodcast at gmail.com, as well as a Twitter handle, which is at aircastlespod. You can always feel free to reach out to us. Olivia, are you ready to find out what it means? What the question, do you have a bird, means? I have never been more ready for anything in my <laughs> entire life, Joanna. The an- anticipation is quite big, it's I can imagine. palpable. <laughs> I'm feeling it between my fingers. I need to know, do I have a bird? I will find out. <laughs> So, bird, first of all, in German, means Vogel. Bird is Vogel. And do you have a bird is Hast du einen Vogel? Hast du einen Vogel? 100% spot on. (laughs) (laughs) Hast du einen Vogel? So, the thing is, we kind of approached the meaning of it in this episode already in terms of having a bird's brain and you you told me i think before this episode what it means to show the bird or give someone a bird i think you said yes right yeah so it's kind of similar because you ask people like do you have a bird like hast du einen vogel 
are you stupid? Are you crazy? But I think it's more a crazy thing. Like, if I would say, oh, let's just jump out of the window for fun because my cat always does that, then my roommate would say, do you have a bird? Like, are you crazy? <laughs> so that's what the question is. Do you have a bird? So if anyone ever asks you that in German, hast du einen Vogel? And it's out of context. It's 99.9% means are you crazy or are you stupid and the 0.1% are probably when you meet someone who's really extremely extraordinarily interested in birds <laughs> and just wants to know whether you have one love that okay wait so say it again hast du einen Vogel hast du einen Vogel Vogel yes Vogel F no it's a V it's a V Oh it's a V O Vogel. It's a V O G E L Vogel Vogel Hast du einen Vogel Hast du einen so Vogel you just Hast du einen You should just Vogel? in general answer nein <laughs> <laughs> That's that's my recommendation on that part Do you actually like does it tend to be a rhetorical question or do you defend yourself you say nein no, it's actually, no, it's more of a rhetorical, uh, uh, rhetorical, no, wait, wait, what? Rhetorical. Yeah, rhetorical, right? Rhetorical. Yeah. No, it's, it's, rhetor, rhetorical? No, rhetorical. Rhetorical. Yeah. Rhetorische Frage. <laughs> German. <laughs> rhetorical. So it is pretty much the same, just pronounced differently. Rhetorical. Um, yeah, it is a rhetor, a rhetorical question. Okay. It is a uh, rhetorische Frage. <laughs> That is what well, okay. No, I'm not okay. Never mind. That's a little <laughs> you can too try advanced. if you want. No, to. I'm not going to. Uh, you know what's so funny? I think that's the connection there once again between German and English. It's rhetorical in English and it's rhetorisch in German. And just the ending changes. And I think that it's like that with a couple of verbs where it's like we have ish at the end and you have kel at the end. But it's spelled pretty much similar, similarly, or pretty much the same. But you just pronounce it differently, and the German has ish, and the English has ekel. Mm. Rhetorical, rhetorisch. Does a lot of things end in ish? Like, is ekel always equal to ish, or generally equal to ish? No, it's not. I just, no, I just, just thought, like, I, I meant to think of one other example but of course it's not coming to me right now but i know that i thought of that one other time in my life as well that it is that it has happened a couple of times the thing is it's so difficult because i'm thinking about the spelling and there are not that many things that are spelled that similarly magical but magish magical yeah You're so good. there we go how can you think of a German word? I didn't. I just like thought of, an of a, English. I thought of an English word that said "ickle," and then I was. You were gonna tell me whether it ended oh, wow. in "ish" or not. Yeah, I think it's. Yeah, I think it's more likely if you think of the English word that the German one's gonna be equivalent. Rather than because I couldn't think of German ones. And then trying to think of it is an ickle. Yeah, I was. I was thinking of the "ish" word, but Kel. Yeah, magical, magish, and you also spell it M-A-G, and then the "ish" at the end. Magical, magish. Oh, interesting. Well, there mm-hmm. you go, German learners. It's one more thing for us <laughs> to put on our notes in our notebooks. Exactly. Perfect. So, Olivia, you don't have a bird. I don't have a bird. 
I think none of us has a bird. I've thought about getting I think a bird, sometimes... especially after doing this episode. <laughs> I'd love a lifelong companion of some intelligence. You can do studies with him. I could. You can research him yeah. or her. Or we could just vibe. The thing is, we sometimes... We could just vibe. Sometimes, I feel like sometimes people say, don't we all have a bit of a bird? You know, in terms of uh, kind of equivalent, don't aren't we all a bit crazy? That's what people sometimes say. Haben wir nicht alle ein bisschen einen Vogel? Oh my god. <laughs> I was going to ask it's you. It's not very it common. German, it's not it's not very common, but I think it's 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 a good equivalent to aren't we all a bit crazy? Like at times people might say it. <laughs> might say it. Well, this is kind of unfortunate because at least in language, birds are associated with being dumb, being crazy, and being angry. <laughs> But you have proven us wrong in this episode. That's, That's true. the thing. Well, so have you. Freaking magical oh, super bird. True. Birds, guys. <laughs> love love your birds. Birds are great. Love your Even birds. When they Let's appreciate birds car. more. Birds are great. <laughs> they are. Okay, perfect. Then thank you so much for recording with me once again, Olivia. And thank you for our listeners for listening. And yeah, we'll hear you soon or we'll, once again, I always mess this up and then I always want to say we'll hear you soon and I always end up saying this very complicated sentence of we'll have you hear us soon or something. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have you hear us. Yeah, no, it's just see you soon. That's what I'm trying to say. And tschüss und bis bald. You moved too fast, Say man. Again, I wanted please. I wanted to jump in there. What? <laughs> wait, wait, do you want to repeat that? You no, know what I mean? Fine. We can edit that in. It's fine. No, it's fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>